live. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Jonathan Kogan Show. I'm your host, Johnny K. Do you know what today is? Do you know what today is? Take a guess. Today is... It'll be the best day of your life. Woo! The best day of your life, baby. That's what it is. You better get with the program. Oh my God, can you feel the energy? It's the best day of your life, and we are surely proud to have you at the Jonathan Public Show. Let's get this party started. We're talking about the economy today. The economy. You got big names all over the place talking about the economy. Stan Drunkenmiller, one of the best macro investors of all time. Hugh Hendry, who made like 30 plus percent in 2008. They're all going vocal. They're saying words like depression and they're saying things that you have to know. And obviously the word is not getting out. So first things first, though, at the same time, when we talk about economy, you have this guy, all right, this this guy named Jared Bernstein, all right, Jared Bernstein was just nominated by the Biden administration, okay, to be the chair of the Council of Economic Advisors. Who is this guy? Why is it important? Take a listen to this question in Congress from, it looks like, Mr. Timmons asks Gary Gensler, okay, Gary Gensler, looks like the bottom of my shoe. But anyways, asks him about this guy who's being promoted to be the lead economic guy for Biden about his article that he wrote in 2014, which we're going to get into after this, about how all he wants is the end of the U.S. dollar. He just wa- he doesn't want the U.S. dollar to be the world reserve currency. Listen to him ask this question. I'll listen closely. All right. Tough to hear. I'll talk about it afterwards. Take a listen. Question. And I got to be honest, I don't know how you're going to answer it. Kind of uh, so in 2014, Jared Bernstein published an op-ed in the New York Times titled Dethrone, quote, King Dollar, where Mr. Bernstein advocated for government to actively take steps to remove the dollar as the global has now nominated him to be the head of his council of economics. All while the Chinese are actively undermining the dollar as a global reserve currency and their successes are increasing both in number of increasing do you agree with Mr. Bernstein that the U.S. government should take steps to actively remove the dollar reserve currency? I agree. I really. So, long story short, this guy who is being promoted as an economic advisor literally wrote an op-ed talking about how the government should actively dethrone the U.S. dollar. I have it on my screen. If you're if you're only listening to this, this is from Jared Bernstein. This is the New York Times called Dethrone King Dollar. I won't read it all, but just to give you an idea, he wants the government to actively destroy the dollar as the world reserve currency. And obviously, when the world is upside down, when left is right, red is blue, up is down, down is up, and everything's opposite day, you promote this guy to the highest rankings in the political sphere of economic influence. Ooh, that sounded really uh, smart. Okay, here we go. I'm going to read from the article now just a little bit. There are few truisms about the world economy, but for decades, one has been the role of the United States dollar as the world's reserve currency. It's a core principle of American economic policy. After all, who wouldn't want their currency to be the one that foreign banks and governments want to hold in reserve? But new research reveals 
that what was once a privilege is now a burden, undermining job growth, pumping up budget and trade deficits, and inflating financial bubbles. To get the American economy on track, the government needs to drop its commitment to maintaining the dollar's reserve currency status. And then he talks about why that is so good for the peasants. Okay? It ain't good. If you talk to any other smart person, if they don't need to hold U.S. dollars and we print all this money and no, nobody wants those dollars anymore, they go whoosh, and they come right up to shore and then boom, hyperinflation, potentially. All right. This guy is just nominated. This 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 gentleman, Jared Bernstein, so is being promoted. I, I just can't even believe this. It's unbelievable. Here he is. He was born in 1955. He, if you can't see his face, he looks like a schmuck. Uh, he's a senior fellow at the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities from 2009 to 2011. He was the chief economist and economic advisor to Vice President Joe Biden in the Obama administration. And now he is the nominee to be the chair of Council of Economic Advisors, which is a United States agency within the executive office of the president established in 1946, which advises the president of the United States on economic policy. The CEA provides much of the empirical research for the White House and prepares the publicly available annual economic report of the president. Okay, so I just want to get that out of the way. So now we're going to talk to people who really know what they're talking about, okay? In, in politics, everything's opposite day, okay? In the real world, things function as they are, not what you want them to do, what they are. So... First things first, a couple clips we got here. I mean, this is going to be big stuff, all right? These are really, really good talks. So Stan Drunkenmiller, one of the best macro investors of all time, multi-billionaire, uh, gave a talk at USC just this, this month, May 2023, talking about how young people need to be a little bit more active if they care about the future of their families, of themselves, and of the country in general, because on the path we're going, he's been shouting for like 15 years that the that the period of 2025 to 2035 could be catastrophic if things don't change because of demographics. And I've said this on this podcast so many times, you've got to go listen to other episodes, how important demographics is, demographics is destiny. And people do not understand how the aging populations of Europe and other places in the world where the U.S. actually is much better. We're in, we're in a much better place because we have millennials. Millennials don't exist in Europe. They're just old. But we're still going to have boomers. And there's more boomers than there are um, millennials. And there's going to be more older people than there are younger people to be productive in society to pay the benefits to the older people. Listen to Stan talk about it, okay? He's the expert. He's one of the most respected investors of all time. Talking to USC, MBA students. There's nothing to see if you're watching it. It's just audio. But uh, take a listen. This is uh, why young people should care and get a little more active. I suppose it's generational issue. Let me tell you, you're thinking about your retirement or your health care bill when you grow old. But if nothing Pensions tomorrow will be a fraction of what they are today. Government won't be able to pay half of your bill. Think of in 20 or 30, there will be fewer young workers, many more seniors that need support, and will be starting the highest national debt in history. If you believe you will have as comfortable a retirement as current seniors, like me and Sheldon, unfortunately, think again. And long before you retire, 
consequences of the of remaining on the path we have foolishly will be borne by you and your children. The arithmetic doesn't work out. Let me give you some facts. The share of fiscal spending going to seniors has been growing dramatically since the 60s when Medicaid joined Social Security entitlements. Today we spend 6x, 6x more per senior than we do for child in this country. Think Social Security versus education. Almost 40% of all our taxes are spent on seniors and the trend is just only gets started. So here's the demographic problem I was worried about. I'm not too good with pointers. Um, this is when I came here and this is where we are now. What I was worried about is after World War II and everybody came back, um, everybody had a bunch of babies. Uh, and the birth rate peaked in 1957 at 3.7. It's currently under two. So you had this moving bulge of Sheldon and I and a zillion others, and we're the boomers. Um, the problem is the boomers are all turning 65 right when that line hits, and we, can, we continue to grow and we're living longer, but the current generation isn't making babies at, at that rate anymore. So what you have is a huge growth in surplus of older Americans who are receiving entitlements, but you don't have the younger workers creating enough revenue to pay for them. Um, so if you look at this, we're just getting underway in terms of the consequences of this great boom. In 25 years, the spending on seniors it's up there on the chart, will grow to 70% of all taxes. It'll be 60% in 20 years. It's 40% today. Effectively, these entitlements, they're gonna be compounding away and they're gonna squeeze everything else out in terms of private and public investment. In this context, the fiscal recklessness of the last decade, for me, given what my thoughts were, has been like, like watching a horror movie unfold. Look at this chart. Uh, you're looking at the level of indebtedness only comparable of the US over the last 100 years. And you'll see the big bulge when we had to wave, pay for World War II. And then you'll see the big bulge now. Since I came to USC and talked about this, the federal debt, which I was concerned about at the time, has grown from 15 trillion to 31 trillion. But what is worse, and this is what reminds me, and I, well, I know one time, right before I came here, some Republican was ranting about the debt because it's 32 trillion. Do you know that the 32 trillion assumes the federal government will never make another Social Security or Medicare payment? Only government accounting could think that the government is never going to make another payment. Not one, not to me. So what he's saying is, is that we are running out of money. We're talking about we got the debt ceiling coming up, right? That's one thing. All right. And then we got 32 trillion if we don't print any more money. 
And in 25 years, 70% of all tax revenue has to go to supporting seniors. That's with no money being invested in younger people and social programs in helping people. None of it. It's just for the elders. I mean, this is a major, major problem. And now you're having mainstream publications like Axios come out and talk about this stuff. But there is one more. He talks about the mathematics behind it, uh, the arithmetic. And I do want him to break that down for you, and then we can cover it on the other side. Uh, so we're all on the same page here. So listen to this real quick from the same talk a little bit ahead. So just take a listen. Yourself, How much taxes you need to be raised today to maintain the current level of safety net into the future going forward. That amount economists call the fiscal gap. That's how much you would have to raise taxes today to keep these payments that we've promised the same in the future as they are now. Today, that measure is 7.7% of GDP. When I presented here 10 years ago, it was 7.2% of GDP. Okay. What does 7.7% fiscal gap, gap of GDP means? Here's what it means. To fix it, you would need a 40% increase, permanent tax increase today, forever, or you'd have the other lovely choice of a 35% cut in, in spending today, forever, permanent. Two dreadful choices, and frankly, they're probably still underestimated. I think USC Business School students would understand if you raise taxes or you cut spending that much, uh, investment would inevitably falter and growth would suffer considerably, making it impossible to maintain the size of our current safety net. Now, So then he talks about France as being more responsible than the U.S. So is this government going to cut spending? No, they have to spend more and more. It's a debt-based monetary system. We have to we have to take more money from the future into the now. We need to spend, 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 spend on more things. Okay. So not only that, they're not going to cut programs. They're not going to cut any spending. But then to get us to pay our debt back and not default, we need to raise taxes to a degree where everybody's just going to move. People with money who can move are going to move. No one's going to stay in California paying 80% tax if they can go to Florida and not pay state taxes. I mean, what do you think is going to happen? This is insanity. And because of what's going on now with the debt ceiling and, you know, are we approaching a recession? Are we not? Hugh Hendry, who called the 2008 crisis, made like more money than anybody that year, actually went on Bloomberg Radio saying that he can conceive of a federal or treasury rule coming in saying that for the next 180 days, you can't pull your money out of the banking sector. He thinks just like gold was confiscated in the 1930s, they might put controls in place, not to confiscate your money necessarily, but that you can't move your money out of the banks because otherwise the whole system will fail. I clipped this out. It was a good interview we had. Just take a listen to this. It's 45 seconds talking about a scary scenario that we might be on the brink of right now. This is what, and I, there was an article, by the way, in the Daily Beast saying, oh, forget Reagan economics. Biden economics is amazing. The, you were being gaslit to no return. This is unbelievable. You, there's people literally writing articles on how Biden, Biden economic, Bidenomics is amazing, how the economy's never been strong. The, the president's saying it's stronger than hell. Everything's great. Oh my God, everything's fantastic. Then you have some of the best investors saying things like this. We are past the point of relevancy 
for that procedure. I mm. not say this lightly. I've given it consideration. Given the present with regard to the budget of uh, of losses on security portfolios, predominantly the okay, mm. you cast your mind back to 1934 and the gold respect. back then those euros and their gold was confiscated. I can actually conceive of a federal or a treasury rule coming in and saying for the next 180 days, you can't pull your money out of the banking sector. Yep. I mean, it's possible. The Apology is saying that he had a great, a great talk recently uh, saying that the losses, the unrealized losses for these banks in the system might be north of $18 trillion. $18 trillion. They're saying it's $650 billion plus. He's, he has the Stanford saying it's $2 trillion. He's saying it could be up to $18 trillion. Okay? People are holding these securities. They jacked up the rates. Boom. There's massive losses. Things are going to get dicey and spicy. Okay? Is it still the best day of your life? Yes, it's still the best day of your life. If you lost everything, would it still be the best day of your life? Of course it would be. And that's why we're in this together. This is a team effort. This is a every human that's on Team Peasant working together to build alternative systems, to come together, to help your neighbor, to love people with different political opinions, to accept people that are apolitical, and to understand that we all are cut from the same cloth, and we all came from generally the same space, meaning the cosmos, and that we need to reproduce, meaning we need to make more humans to be productive, and we need to help one another and not be divided. If you stay divided, you're playing right into the elite's hand. If you realize that the divisiveness is pure propaganda, you can come together and love each other because love is what takes us out of this. Plus a little bit of help, you know, maybe like financially and stuff like that, economically and whatnot. But we need to realize that the time is now we're running out. It's May. The whole debt ceiling fiasco is about to take off. You got the best investors of all time telling you that we're in fact, I even have a clip here. Uh, I'll end it with this of Hugh uh, saying how we've only had four depressions and this is one of them. This is just a little clip saying, listen, you better take this seriously and educate yourself. All right. This is with Keith McCullough of uh, Hedgeye. Take a listen. Thankfully, in 200 years, I think we've had four depressions. Uh, 18, 12, 18, end of the 1830s, 1870, 75, into the 90s, 18, the 1930s, and today. And each time it is parental, and so the marks has got to come down, come in, and we've just got to distribute, redistribute income. And, and human ingenuity, no. <laughs> so he's saying that this is a depression. He's saying that, and listen, I, I've been saying on this podcast, I thought I figured out a little while ago that all this chaos was happening last three years for a cover-up for the end of the monetary system. It's an absolute economic collapse. The U.S. dollar might lose reserve currency status. Bology puts the odds. He says 10% chance it happens in months, uh, 89% that it happens in years and 1% or something like that, that happens in decades uh, or in a century, something like that. But there is a significant chance this happens in years and even months. Pay attention. I'm going to keep getting you the truth and nothing but the truth. Please subscribe to the John of the Coken show, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the rumble channel. And uh, listen, we're going to have more coming at you like hot fire and spice. 
I'll see you later. Bye. Oh, I didn't even cover that. Well, you should read the Axios article about how we're going to have a permanent decline in working age individuals because all the baby boomers are retiring. It just came out today. So that's also amazing. It's called Why Labor Shortages Are Here to Stay.